Lord Jesus, we want to stay at the cross. We want uh, to live a cross-centered life, a life that looks like the cross. And uh, to say that, you know, in, in 2016 probably sounds a little different than to say that in the first century, to, to, to live cross-centered when, when, when the cross was execution and torture and shame and death. And yet we know looking back on it, that that is our life. And that as we, as we dwell there, as we stay at the cross, we die to self in all of its destructive habits and tendencies with all the lies that we used to believe. And now you've freed us to live in the light, live in the truth. And we know that that's at the foot of the cross. So we want to stay there. As we look at your word, we want uh, your words to get into our heart and do their work of kicking things out and, and putting new things in. As we talk about the, the role of the church, the nature of the church today, I pray that uh, you'd help us see your vision of the church, how you see us. Because we know if we can see things the way you do, we can be that. We can live into that. So help us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So coming up on uh, the Heaven series, we're, we're three weeks away, two weeks from launching, but three weeks away from the Heaven Sermon series. And I thought what we would do is spend some time looking at uh, the church. What is, our, what is our church about? What is the church supposed to be? And so I want to spend three weeks in particular on the church as a community. And so week one, that's this week, is it's a community of faith. Week two, it's a community of love. And week three is going to be a community of hope. Like taking Paul, the Apostle Paul's, those, those three amazing virtues, faith, hope, and love, and showing how they work into our church. In particular, how do they work into community? How do they, how do they spread out amongst the people? Not just individually that I have hope or I have faith, but how do we encourage faith? How do we express faith? That's what I'm, that's what I'm curious about. That's what I want to dig into for three weeks, uh, these next three weeks. So I hope you'll join us and uh, love digging into that and thinking about what does it mean to be a community. When I was little, I, uh, I used to go to the, the grocery store. It was an IGA, and they had a spinner rack of comic books. And you could buy one for like 50 cents. Probably some of you grew up when they were like 10 cents, right? Yeah, you know who you are. And, uh, and you remember flipping those open, and they would have like a full page of advertisements and there were like things as a kid you could send in for. You know, you could address the envelope and send it in and you could order a, a life-size submarine, one of them would say, you know. Or order your very own full-size alien that you can control, you know. And, and you're thinking as a kid, I can order this and put it together and, and then I can... It was never like that, though, you know. Anybody order one of those things in, in the back of those? Any, nobody did? Why? None of you fell for it. And, and I think... Most of us, yeah, when we read, even as a kid, you look at that and go, no way. I mean, five bucks is not going to buy me a submarine, you know. I read one, I remember one that said, you can get centuries-old 
kung fu sandals worn by the masters, you know. It was like, I, I don't think so. No, not for five bucks. Um, but uh, in the church, there are some lies or half-truths. Better to just call them lies for what they are, you know, uh, that, that we tend to get sucked into as a community. I'd like to point out a few of those today. And in the sermon, we'll try to unravel them and, 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 and see where that leads us. So uh, here's some lies that some Christians believe. You might not have ever believed this, but, you know, th- these are things that we tend to think about sometimes. Here's the first one. I don't need the church. I worship God just fine on my own. I think this is maybe a little more prevalent, especially in the Northwoods where you can kind of get tucked away at, at, at your home and it's like, I, I got everything I need. I got the woods and I experienced the Lord in the woods. And I believe that you do and I think that's a wonderful thing. And please never stop encountering God in the Northwoods of Wisconsin. But it's a lie that you don't need other people. It's a lie that you don't need the help of the church, not just the pastor, but the community to help you grow. There's the lie. Uh, second lie. Being a Christian means being good and acting nice. I think this is a very cultural understanding of Christianity where it's like, if you could just keep your faith on Sunday morning and let it make you a nice person, that's what being a believer is really all about. It's, it's, it's a Ned Flanders sort of Christianity. Sorry uh, if you don't know who that is. But it's, it's just, I'm nice. I smile. That's what Christians do. And it's not real life. Look at my problems. Look at my issues. Let's work it out. Uh, I've got a problem and I need help. It's just be nice, please. Don't tell us your problems. That's not what being a Christian is about. That's a lie. Because Christianity... It, it, it does make sinners into saints, that's true, but it makes us real. It, it, it helps us be real on the bad days and call somebody up and say, life is really tough today and I need help. I'm really angry about this and I need to talk about it. I need to work this out. That, that's real Christianity. Okay, uh, next one. Uh, I asked Jesus into my heart so now I can go to heaven. Um, This one's kind of a little trickier because I feel like I grew up with this kind of mentality. Uh, And and there's a a truth in there in that if you know uh, uh, I've been crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So Jesus does live in you. But the way into a relationship with Christ is not Jesus come into my heart. It's Jesus, I'm a sinner. I deserve your judgment. I believe you died on the cross for me. Will you come into my life and save me and change me? Yes, I do want you in my heart. But it's more than just asking into the heart. It's forgiveness. It's resurrection. It's death on the cross. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And I never realized how tricky that statement is until I talk with somebody who was living like completely opposite of what Christ calls us to, wrecking their family. And it was like, I see horrendous sin in your life and it's affecting your kids, your spouse. This is terrible. What's Jesus mean to you today? And he's like, and the person said, but I accepted Christ when I was six. I asked him into my heart. No, no, what does he mean to you today when all this is going on? And the person couldn't answer that question. So it's got to be more than Jesus in my heart. 
which can be confusing to a kid anyway. It's the gospel. Okay, next one. Uh, we should get the pastor to do that. Have you said it? It's a lie. Because <laughs> the pastor can't do it well enough or doesn't have time to do it. I, I don't know. But no, um, this, one, this one is a little bit like, I won't do it as well as him, so he should be the one to do it. I want to I wanna come at that. That's going to be very explicit in the text we're about to look at today, so I'm going to save that one for a second. But let me just say this. I know some lies are easy to spot. Some lies are harder to spot. They're harder to pick out. In fact, the Apostle Paul says some are so tricky that you need to be mature to be able to call them out. Would you go to Ephesians 4? This is, this is the verse I'm thinking about as I'm talking about these lies. Ephesians 4, verse 14. It says, Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So, Paul, this is really interesting because when Jesus talks about kids in faith, Jesus says you need a childlike faith to enter the kingdom of God. And of course, we know he means humility, dependence, I'm poor in spirit, God has the riches of grace. I've got nothing going. I need Him. Childlike faith. But Paul here in Ephesians 4, um, 14 talks about a childish faith. A childish faith. A childish faith falls for incredibly clever lies, falsehoods, half-truths. A person with childish faith can't discern between truth and a half-truth or a lie. And that's a really dangerous place to be. I remember reading somebody that said, uh, evil, if you look at the nature of evil, it always comes from lies. It started in the garden that way. Satan, you will not surely die. When you eat of this fruit, you'll become like God. You won't surely die. Lie. And then when, when they were caught, well, it's a woman you gave me. You know, she did. Out of lies come evil. And we start down that road. I mean, this is a serious thing for the community. If we embrace a lie, it's going to take us to a very, very bad place. As a community, how God has designed the church is that we might put our faith in the truth. We, we quoted some truth this morning. We quoted the Apostles' Creed. We sang a song about it. That the, These are the truths we stand on. We put our faith in them. And it's not, when we say we're a community of faith, it's not that like the world thinks where it's like um, you, you, you put your faith in these things that you can't possibly prove and that, and, and you know, so you must need that or that must be an important thing to you. It's, no, no. We put, our, we put our faith in reality, right? It's reality. It's truth. It's more real than science. You know, that's what our faith is in. That's the firmness of it. So we're a community of faith. We are grounded in the truth. Faith is not just a step in the dark 
It's a step onto the reality of Christ. That's who's there. Even though none of us have gone to the other side of death and come back to share it, we know one who has, and we can trust him. That's faith in the reality of truth. So I want to look at Ephesians and kind of talk about what that looks like in our community to be a community of faith that's grounded in the truth. All right, so check this out. We're going to look at verse, um, let's start in 11. Ephesians 4.11. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. By the way, when you read that verse, blown by you know, the winds of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming, that's a lot of nasty words. You know, I got cunning, I got craftiness, I got deceit, and I got schemes. You get this impression that Paul's like, this is really bad. It's intentional. It's, it's really clever. It's really hard, but you need to grow up and be able to call it out. Verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let's take a look at this then a little deeper. You know, we'll start again in verse 11 and 12. Jesus gave people to the church. This would be number one. Jesus gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Probably pastor-teacher is one category. So there's probably four people talked about here. Now, some, some churches, maybe in some denominations, have started to look at apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor-teacher as essential leaders in, this, in the hierarchy of the church. Like, in your church, as a leader, you're going to need an apostle, you're going to need a prophet, you're going to need a pastor-teacher, you're going to need an evangelist. I'm not here to address that concern. I do have concerns that it's hard to nail down well, what does it mean to be a prophet back then versus a prophet in 2016? You know, I have concerns about how we define those terms. So I don't want to dive into that argument, but I am, I am curious that, that God has given the church different truth-tellers. I'm going to call them that, number one. That God has gifted the church with truth-tellers. Now, if we're a community of faith, we put our faith in the truth, we're going to need people that build us up in the truth. Because that's who we are. We have faith in the truth. And truth-tellers equip the saints for works of service. Did you catch that? He gave all these people to equip the saints for works of service. So the question, though, I have is, um, when it talks about equipping the saints for works of service, there's three prepositions. Can we get those up? Uh, in, In a literal, looking at the Greek, there's three prepositions going on here. If you hated grammar, if you're going back to school, kids, this is just for you, right? You're going to be ready. Um, there's three prepositions, but who's supposed to do it? It says, to equip the saints, there's your two, for the works of ministry, four, for the building up of the body of Christ. So two, four, four. I use the ESV because it's more literal. 
Um, whose job description is that? Now, God gave the church pastors to equip the saints for work of ministry, for the building of the body of Christ. So the question is, do I have three points in my job description? Do you have a couple points in your job description? How does this work? Some, if you believe the lie that the pastor is the expert and he should do everything. In other words, uh, if someone in your small group is sick, it, does it must be at the pastor every single time to visit? Or could you visit? And if you went to the hospital to visit them, would they look up from their bed and say, oh, Frank came. You know what I mean? <laughs> is, is that how it would go? I was hoping for the pastor, but I got John. You know, um, that's not biblical thinking. Even though I love hospital visits and I probably will be there, I may not always be there. And I think this supports that understanding. This counteracts the lie that the pastor or the board or whoever should do everything because I believe how this is laid out and, and, and it supports itself in the Greek. The pastor is to equip the saints. That's, that's the one point I get. The two points that you get, you get two, I get one. So how does that feel, right? Um, you get for the work of ministry, B, and you get C, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, in some ways, I'm doing all of them because I'm equipping you, but you get the last two. I equip you, you, build up, you do the work of ministry, and you build up the body of Christ. That's a biblical view of pastor job description. When churches turn it around, they like to give all three to the pastor, who then burns himself out, and everybody says, where's the pastor? We can't do anything without him. So, number one, God has gifted the church with truth-tellers. I'm going to make it even, uh, if you didn't like those last two job descriptions, I'm going to make it even worse for you, because actually, we're all truth-tellers. Remember what I read earlier? We're going to come to it again. Speaking the truth in love. Who does that apply to? Just the pastor? Do you have to speak the truth in love? Well, yeah. You know? So if we're all truth tellers, that means you've got to do it too. That means also you're God's gift to the church. Did you catch that in verse, uh, I think it's 11? Christ gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. It means when it comes to this church, as you engage here, you are God's gift as a truth teller to the church. I want to keep going. Okay, so now you know what your job description is. Secondly, if we can get that up, Jim. The goal, the community of faith must grow up into Christ together. So what's the point? You know, so... If we're growing as a community, what are we going to look like? Well, Paul's going to tell us what we're supposed to look like. Verse, uh, let's do this, 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I think that's Paul's long way of saying, grow up into Christ together. Now, let's do the long version, if we can get that up next. Here's the long version. Two ways to describe an adult Christian that, that Paul uses. He says, unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, just look at what he did. Maturity is unity. 
Maturity is unity. Ever met a divisive person? That guy's not mature. That guy's a childish Christian. Unity is maturity. But it's unity in a certain thing. Because we can be united around something terrible. I think every, right, they, they have a term for this where when you get into discussion with somebody and, and when you bring up Hitler, the discussion's over. You can't get any worse than that, right? Um, you can unite around something terrible. Or you can unite around faith and knowledge of the Son of God. I'm putting my faith in Jesus, and I want to know Him. That's not just know like I read my Bible, but I experience Him in my life. I talk to Him. He leads me. It's that kind of knowledge. I I have a relationship with Him. So, on the one hand, this could be very depressing because you and I know denominations are quick to split. And they don't always split over big things. Sometimes they split over tiny things insignificant things. And that can be kind of, that can just be hard when you read this and go, oh, mature Christians splitting over tiny little minute details of the Bible? That's not maturity. Not according to this. But I want to look at it like this. I mean, I agree with what I just said. But think of it like this. We're worshiping here. There's a church worshiping across the street. If our walls were blown down one, one day and their walls were blown down one day and we were worshiping and we could see them through the trees and, we, and they looked at us through the trees, would we be all worshiping the same Lord and we'd be saying, hey, he's great, isn't he? And we'd be praising and we'd be like, we'll be louder. You know, I, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> no, not that. But I think we could look over and see them over there and say, hello, isn't Jesus wonderful? And they would say, Amen. And we would sing. I think that is the picture Paul's going for here. Because you've got to remember, if you just want to get ground level biblical here, when Paul writes letters, they get circulated to the churches. And they're house churches. They're house churches. So there's one church meeting in this house. And across town there's a church meeting in that house. I'm not saying we have to go back to house churches, even though there's a movement of that going on as well. I'm just saying, we got a church here and a church over there, and we're worshiping Christ. Awesome. Praise God for that. There needs to be no competition, as I joked about earlier. <laughs> that doesn't have to be at all. Because we love Him. And if we agree on the majors, if we have unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, we can let go of the small things, the small doctrines that don't add up to a lot, but agree on the major ones like the Apostles' Creed. Okay. And then B, uh, so so I just want to point out that Paul says maturity is unity in the faith. If you meet a divisive person and they want to divide over tiny little things, watch out. That person may know his Bible backwards and forwards. Doesn't mean he's a mature Christian. B, uh, becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So, secondly, what Paul's trying to say here is, uh, maturity means being like Jesus. That's it. When you act like Jesus, talk like Jesus, that is maturity. If you don't act like Jesus and don't talk like Jesus, you're not mature. The more you can open your Bible and read about Jesus' life and see yourself doing the same things, that is maturity. 
the more you can open your Bible and get heartbroken that you don't see yourself there yet, but you're going to change. That is maturity. This is what we're aiming for in the church. Number three. All right, what's the game plan? How do we get mature? I want to be like Jesus. I want to have unity. How do we get there? And Paul makes it really simple. This is verse uh, 15. Instead, so instead of believing uh, childish lies, speaking the truth in love will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So how do we do it? How do we, how do we grow up? And, and the answer is we speak the truth in love. Now, I imagine you can go into the woods and speak to yourself words of truth and love. But, but I believe the apostle's saying, You've got to get together and hear yourselves speaking words of truth in love. Now, this is one of those verses that, that um, pastors and leaders like to pull out a lot when um, there's a conflict and you've got to tell somebody something hard. In fact, I think I primarily read speaking truth in love in that light for years, decades. I mean, that's how I view it. It's like, that's, the ver- that's my go-to verse if I've got to say something hard to somebody. Your breath stinks. Here's a tic-tac. I love you. You know, um, <laughs> you know, it was in love. I was sparing the church, you know, or um, oh, my favorite truth in love. This is a great one. I don't know if I've told you this before, but little old lady in church. I went to a big Presbyterian church, you know, and uh, maybe 1,500 people on a Sunday morning. And little old lady sat towards the front and she was the only one that would give a loud amen. You know, the pastor would say something and she'd be like, amen, you know, and, and Sometimes it was at the wrong time, you know, like he was saying something about judgment on somebody. She'd be like, amen. And I was like, ooh, that wasn't, that probably wasn't right, you know, and cast them into hell. Amen, you know, and oh, you know, stop. <laughs> um, but, um, but she was good for the awkward moments. I'll just say that because one morning she came up to me and shook my hand and looked right in my eyes and said, I don't like you. I love you. <laughs> but, but it was that. It was that two-second pause that's two seconds too long, you know what I mean? <laughs> if she just would have said, I don't like you, I love you, that would have flowed. But she had, must have had that, that comedian's timing, you know, because she just paused. So for those visiting this weekend, I, I entrust that to you. You go back to your home churches and try that out on people. Um, but look them in the eye when you do it, and it'll just throw, I don't like you. I love you. <laughs> you know, it's, it's great. It's great. So, um, so I used to think that this was my go-to verse, and it really still is. I got to say something really hard to you. I want to say it because I love you. I love you. And this verse does mean that. But if you look at the context of the verse, it's about how do we build each other up. I got to speak truth to you. You got to speak truth to each other. We're all truth tellers. We're all God's gift to the church. So when you do small groups, you're sitting in a living room and you're speaking truth to each other. I'm guessing what Paul meant is you're talking about the truth that you know from the Lord and His Word and you're speaking it to one another. Now, I don't mean that you're just like reading Bible verses like I've got, you know, Philippians 4, 6 for you today, you know. Uh, but, but really, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking words of spiritual wisdom as we talk. Does it just come out? 
Is your speech just flavored with God's wisdom? Is it like salt? I mean, it's just, it's just coming out. There it is. It's seasoned. Literally, I love the Greek in this verse. Uh, literally, uh, the word speaking the truth, like we need multiple words to say this. In Greek, it's just one word. It's just truth. It's truthing. It's truthing. We're supposed to truth each other. So at the end of this sermon, I'm going to say, you got truth, you know. And, and that's what it is. That, that, that's what it is. We truth each other. It's a verb. Uh, but we truth in love. So the love part's important because you know, we've talked about this a lot before. We want to be a church of grace and truth. You could say love and truth. We've got to balance those two things because if you've only got truth, you're going to just kill people, you know. It's going to be legalistic. It's going to be like works righteousness and, and you better meet the standard. And, and, you know, it's just truth and it's got an edge and it hurts. But if it's just love, it becomes really mushy. If you get rid of the truth, it's like anything goes. Do whatever you want. Believe whatever you want. We love you. We love you. As long as you feel like you love God, it must be okay. We can't have either of those unrelated to the other. When you put them both together, that's when you get true community. Can we pull the community quote up? I read this this week and I thought it was beautiful. When love and truth are kept together, true community comes into being. If you subtract one, that's not true community. And so I was thinking about this this week and I, and I know I know, and you know there are churches that <clears throat> compromise in many ways. And some of them attract a big following. And the scripture predicts that people will follow and, and their itching ears want to hear that and so they, they get to hear it. Prosperity gospel, that's one of the big ones in our country. God wants you healthy, wealthy, you know, and that, and that sort of thing. But if you want true, a true community of faith, if you want true connections with other people, you've got to have truth and you've got to have love in abundance and in balance. That's why at this church, if, if you're checking things out this fall in church, we will talk about hard topics. We talked about race, racial reconciliation uh, in August. We'll go there because we've got to speak the truth, but we've got to do it in love. It's got to be. So there's the goal. And then, and then the last verse, this is great. Um, verse 16, From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. His point is, he wants, he wants to. if you didn't catch it by now, here he wants to remind you again. The body is going to fall apart unless you're involved. The body's not going to be as strong a body if you don't do the work. If we're missing a hand, if we're missing an eye, if we're missing a leg, if we're missing an ear, that body analogy that Paul does in 1 Corinthians, if we're missing something, we're going to feel it. So according to this, every part's got a role to play. What role are you playing? What role are you playing? So if you, if you have your notes in front of you, I invite you to pull that out. I want to explain what being involved in Three Lakes looks like this fall. And I'm not going to be legalistic about it. I'm not going to say every single one of you absolutely must be in a small group or else. I'm just going to say this is where we're going this fall as a church. So if we can pull up the heaven part. Uh, 50 days of heaven. We're going to do seven weeks. That's 49 days. Round it up to 50 for good measure. Um, 
begins September 18th through 24th. Small groups launch that week. We want to accomplish the mission of the church in that 50 days. I want to explain what it looks like. We have a three-part mission statement, connect, grow, serve. How are we going to accomplish our mission this fall? We'll put up the connect. Here we go. We think it would be great for you to invite unchurched friends to come here. We've already started doing that. My family's already doing that this week because we're seeing people in school, new teachers. new. We're inviting people in. We're asking you to do the same. Uh, I think people want to know about heaven. I think they want to get away from the what we call folk theology, you know, just stuff that you, somebody told you when you were growing up about heaven or you saw Bugs Bunny, you know. We want to get away from that and, 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 and just the the harps and the clouds and the fluffy naked babies, you know. Uh, we want to we want to see what is heaven? Like, what is it really? And I think people want to know that. So invite them to come in during this time. They don't have to be part of a small group. It'd be awesome if they would. But just come on Sunday morning and stay after and, and talk about it in, in the sermon discussion after church. The sermon discussion will start next week. Um, uh, so yeah, discuss the sermon during cross-training. That's a really cool thing. People can come with their heaven questions and ask them. They can ask. Thus, connect. Connecting to God. Uh, number two. We want to grow. So uh, downstairs we have a table full of uh, the book 50 Days of Heaven. Now, some of you know the book Heaven by Randy Alcorn is like this thick beast of a book, you know. If you're an avid reader, you may want to buy the big one and read that, like if you're just going to devour this thing. But probably for most of us, 50 Days of Heaven like takes the best out of the thick book and boils it down into 50 devotional readings. That's pretty cool. They're like three or four pages a day, right? So if you're not a big reader, this is perfect for you. Uh, read a chapter a day uh, and then answer the thought question. And then sign up for a seven-week community group where you're going to take it a step deeper. Talk about what you're reading. Watch a video with, with uh, Pastor Randy Alcorn teaching about heaven and then talk about it. That launches the week that you have, uh, September 18th through 24th. That's how we grow. We speak truth to each other. And you can do that on Sunday morning, but we think it's a good idea to do it during the week too. And then lastly, serve. Uh, this is awesome. So, you know, last fall we, had, we did Rooted and our, and our community groups came up with service projects and just did them in the community. Some of them, some of them they chose because we just offered them. Like we said, hey, we need a water station at the half marathon. And a group said, we'll do that. Or, hey, uh, so-and-so needs their yard cleaned up. We'll do it. Hey, Northwood shared dinner in Eagle River. Can you serve at it? We'll do it. Some people came up with their own creative ideas, which is awesome. Last fall we had, let's serve a meal during parent-teacher conferences. Let's collect clothing for uh, warm winter clothing for kids at school. I mean, there was just your group talking and deciding what will we do to bless somebody else. And then you did it. We're asking you during the seven weeks to creatively choose one service project. And if you get a taste for service and you're not serving here on a ministry team yet, take the next step and talk to me about joining a service team here. But just get a taste this fall and serve in your community group. So that's where we're going this fall. Like I said, I'm not legalistic about it. If you only come on Sunday morning, it'll be okay. You're still going to get the Heaven Series. 
but we want to invite you into a greater community that you can have during the week in a small group. I'm still looking for somebody to um, take a, the, the Sunday morning community group. I'd love to offer one just for Sunday morning because for some people that's the best time to be right after church and you have child care with the Sunday school and all that. Um, so if you're interested in leading one, either Sunday morning or a different day, please let me know. Sign-ups are already downstairs. I hope we might be adding some more soon. So as you go out today, say to yourself, I got truth today, all right, in love. And uh, my prayer is that we're going to grow together to be the body of Christ. Worship team, would you come back up? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that even though our truth is written down in the Bible, I mean, we're so thankful for the Bible, but I'm thankful for you that you are the truth, that no one comes to the Father except through you. You're the way, the truth, and the life. I'm so thankful this morning that truth, as great as the Word of God is, I'm thankful that I can talk to the Word of God, that we can talk to our Savior, that we can talk to you, Jesus, and say that I have a relationship with the truth. We can say, I know the truth because He talks to me, because He gave His life for me. That's the truth. It's not just Apostles' Creed. It's a living person. Jesus, we want to exalt You as the truth. And in a world of evil, You are the truth. And in a world that doesn't get racial stuff right we know that you said everyone is created in the image of God and thus has equal value we're so thankful for your truth because it corrects the evil in the world it corrects the lies that lead to genocide it corrects the lies that lead to uh, uh, separation, superiority, and pride. We thank you so much. So Lord Jesus, we don't want to unite around the wrong things. We want to unite around the right things. We want to unite around you and worship you with our brothers and sisters around the world. May we continue to do that right now. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.